0: What we see on the news a lot lately, um, different names and different uh, stupid choices, shall we say. And and I look and I, I, you know, Ginny and I were just talking the other day about, uh, I don't remember which person it was, but um, what a shame, because now this is what they're going to be remembered for, this is what they're going to be known for this is you know could be one one uh one thing in their life in which they really messed up and yet that's what it goes down for uh the passage we're looking at today it's uh we have names of of a, of a pair iodia and sintiki who go, have gone down in biblical history at least for being those that um, divided things they could have been wonderful people, for all we know. I mean, but yet here is what we have for them. Um, we're going to turn that passage in a minute, but let's pray, and and then we'll look into Philippians a little more. Father, thank you. Thank you for those who have gone ahead of us and have left a path that we could see and we could follow, and that we could we could grab a hold of. We have some in our own personal lives, but then we also have other other big names throughout history that have have stood the test of time because of the things they did in ministering for you uh, we have the we have the gospels we have the rest of the new testament because uh, those those people put down your word and your truth for us so that we might have it for ourselves I ask now that you would open our minds to you ultimately, as you use your word, as you use what was left for us to guide us, to direct us, to help us to see you and understand you more in the here and now, not just as we look back, Father, but as we go through our life. Because this isn't just history we're reading, it's your word, your alive and active word to us today. To see how we can and should be more and more the people you've called us to be, that's a challenge for us, we don't always do well with it, but I pray that we would uh understand more of your heart so that we might align our heart and our living and our life more in line with you each day that you give us, we pray. So give us that ministry of the Spirit uh, to make us more aware of what you have for us today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, so turn there if you will. We started these verses last week, but we did not finish them. If you look at your outline, you'll see the first part of it, uh, the first side of it actually is filled in a little bit. Certainly you can write out more if you want to or or less, whatever works for you. But we started these verses, didn't finish them. We're going to very quickly review those points on the front that we pulled out last week, and then we're going to move on. Um, there, we're, we're looking at four areas where being more intentional will draw us closer to Christ and help us to rejoice. So I'm going to read these in four shorter sections, uh, the first of which pulls in Iodia and Sentiki, which we talked about, and their claim to their biblical claim to fame, uh, which isn't the best here at this particular point. Verse one, follow along. It says, so then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for my joy and crown." In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge you, and I urge Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, this is where we drew our first point from, and our first point is in your outline there. Again, it says you know that we need to intentionally choose unity. Now, unity, remember, unity is not uniformity. This doesn't mean that we are all the same. This doesn't mean that we all are cookie-cutter Christians. It doesn't mean that we all have uh, the, the same on everything. Now, we are the same in a commitment to Christ. That's what makes one a Christian, that commitment to Christ. Uh, but the way different things work out um, can, can be there, and those sometimes cause problems and it causes friction differences of what we see in, in how uh, a life should be lived for Christ and choices that are made, and that can cause a problem and friction. And one of our challenges is the fact that we too often let these disputes rob us of joy instead of working to settle them. So the audience and Sintiki, he encourages them to to settle this, to agree in the Lord, to settle this out, not to let this dispute uh Come between them anymore. Now we are not given any details of the argument, nor do we need details of the argument. And if you look again at your, at your Bible, you'll see in verse one, verse two, verse four, that phrase in the Lord is repeated. It's repeated three times in those verses for us. That should draw our attention. That should pull us into something. Uh, and, and here's what I think we need to remember. You don't, don't choose any side except Christ. Choose God's side. You know, don't, don't choose the person that you think you most agree with. Who you should most agree with is God, and you choose His side. We've many of you have have faced this battle and this struggle as you've talked with other family members, and you know we have talked, and and as as you have said, you know I, I don't know what to do, and all I and you know just encourage you. Here's what you do: you choose God's side, and that's that's hard sometimes. Because sometimes when we choose God's side, that means somebody we love sometimes turns and walks away because they don't want to choose God's side right now. They want to do their own thing. But always choose God's side, you know, and work to be on his side. Join God in what he is doing. Join him in in all that he's doing there. And when you intentionally choose unity, what you should be doing is working to be unified with God and to stand with him. You bring others along with that, but the, the unity you're looking for is to, is to be unified with God, to intentionally be unified with Him. Follow along again, verse four. <coughs> rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now again, the call here, notice it says to rejoice in the Lord, which he brought up in chapter 3, verse 1, I believe. And he, you know, here he says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's not in your circumstance. It's not in your situation. Circumstance and situations change, and circumstance and situation push us around. Circumstance and situation sometimes stink. That's all there is to it. Sometimes they just stink. You know, there's, we are sometimes in circumstance and situation by our own choice and by our own choosing that we choose foolishly sometimes, uh, stupidly, sinfully, and we get ourselves in a big mess sometimes. You know, and, and that's not good. But there's also times in which you are in a situation not by your own choosing. You're in a situation that stinks because of somebody else's choice. You get hit by a drunk driver. That wasn't your choice. That wasn't your choosing. You know, when I grew up, you know, my dad left our family that wasn 't our choosing. You know, so you get into situations both by your own choices and by others choices and if you're, If your joy is dependent on a, on a situation you 're going to be miserable <coughs> you 're going to be miserable a lot of times because sometimes the situation stinks, and there is nothing you can do about it ex- except what you can do in it is what he tells us to right here. That you rejoice in the Lord always. That's where it's anchored at. And the challenging verse to me there, you know, let your graciousness, uh, reasonableness, some of the translations say. While I think I'm I'm a reasonable guy, um, I I have been known sometimes not to be a gracious guy. um, uh, You know, but it says, let that be known to everyone. You know, to everyone, a, a, a gracious spirit, a, a generous spirit is is how you could translate this by the word. But it rises above the offenses is what he's talking about. And so you're gracious to those even, even to those who are undeserving of your graciousness. It's not a question of if they did something that that your response would be very gracious. That's not it at all. The point here is that you're gracious even to those who don't deserve graciousness. Let your graciousness be known to all, not just to those who are nice to you, not just to those who are you know who who are pleasant to be around. Let your graciousness be known to all, and and we all get challenged on this. We do. It's a challenge that comes you know, but. Let your gracious response to everyone be more obvious than your opinions. There's this discrepancy between the audience and Tiki. So let your, let your gracious response be more noticeable than your opinions about the disagreement. Let it be more noticeable than your feelings. More noticeable than your feelings. I was with somebody the other day and they were really ticking me off. And they were. And that's where I was looking for the Bible verse that says, just give your opponent a, a quick jab to the throat <laughs> to shut them up. But that's not found there. That's not found there. And so, you know, it's pulled back to this verse again. Interesting when I'm working on the sermon, you know, with these verses here, how God lines it up and says, okay, let's see if you can do this, buddy. Uh You know, and and so, you know, let your graciousness, now, here, it's not in putting up a false front, but it's in dealing with people. It's in dealing with people the way that God has called us to deal with them. You have other verses, uh, you know, there, the, the, the Matthew, the Romans, the first Thessalonians passage. And you look those up and he's told us how we are to treat our enemies and all people. The verse we're all should be at least familiar with, you know, is called to love our enemies. That means act toward them in a gracious way. Just how he's called us. So it's not putting up a false front. What it's doing in the instructions of this verse are right there to, you know, I, I think to us, don't worry about anything. It's a call to intentionally resolve worry. You intentionally deal with this. You resolve worry. Notice what it says through prayer and thanksgiving. That's what the verse says. You know, you know, but don't worry, but in prayer, in everything through prayer, and petition with thanksgiving. You do, you resolve that with prayer and thanksgiving. If nothing else, with prayer and thanksgiving that we are in the Lord. Now you could pray, you know, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that guy, but look at the Gospels, there's so- a There's a guy who prayed that way in the Gospels, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like this jerk. Um, I thank you, I'm not like this publican and sinner. You know, I fast, I do all this. I I would tell you, you know, be careful about that. Um, But you can certainly pray to God and say, you know, "I, I thank you that my circumstances haven't driven me away from you. But here's another chance to be driven towards you, Lord. You know, intentionally resolve that. Instead of feeding and compounding the worry, instead of feeding and compounding that frustration, spend time in prayer and thanksgiving, and we will find the peace of God guards, garrisons, if you remember. That's kind of how we wound this up. It garrisons our heart. I just like that word, you know, that you have that whole garrison there, you know, and that strength that's there. So if you want more on these first seven verses um, e- either ask the, ask Ron or one of the sound guys in back to make you a copy of last week's message, or you can listen to it online. So let's pick up to the new part of your outline on the backside of your sheet, verse 8. <coughs> Look at verse 8 in your, in your passage. Finally, brothers, okay, just so you know, you know what it means when a, when a preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's just so you know. Uh, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Now we're going to take this verse by itself for a little bit. So instead of filling your mind with all of the horrible outcomes you can imagine for your situation, isn't that where worry takes us? Instead of that, intentionally direct your thinking intentionally direct your thinking worry understand this worry is directing your thinking as well in worry you're directing your thinking to all of the horrible outcomes that will happen that's what we're doing in worry we're directing our we're directing our thinking to all of the horrible outcomes that that would happen here instead he's telling us to direct your thinking better Direct it better It's a very intentional action against worry. Displace this worry, he's telling us, by better directing your thinking. Now, did you notice in the six descriptions of what to direct your thinking, they're all preceded by the word whatever. Did you notice that? You know, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any more like... But he repeats that phrase, whatever, 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 not like we do today when, you know, somebody says something, you say, whatever. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. You know, what this means is, is, means as much as, as great as, as far as. It, it, it's, it's a volume. It's a volume word here, you know, and how much, how many. It, it speaks of an exceeding amount. It speaks of more than you can think. This is what he's talking about here. So what he's telling us is to fill your mind with these things. Fill your mind with these things. Fill your minds with whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, moral excellence, any praise. Fill your mind with these things. He says, fill your mind with what is true. With what is true. Truth is set by God. Truth is always set by God. It's one of the things that drives me up a wall, and uh, I really want to scream at people when they say this to me, and, and I don't, but, uh, you know, well, that's my truth. <laughs> no, that's your lie. That's your lie that you're believing is truth. You dug yourself down into a well thinking that you've risen to the top of the mountain. That's a line in a song. I love that. I, I really like that song. I don't know what it is. Sarah will hum it for you later. But, you know, you know that we think we, you know, we think we've really accomplished something about what we've really done. When, when you, scripture says, Jesus says, when you think that light within you is darkness, when you think that light within you is, when do you think that, excuse me, let's get this the right way. When, when you think that darkness in you is light, how dark that truly is, he says. When you're thinking that that darkness is light. How dark that truly is. How dark that truly is. And so truth is set by God. Truth is the, it's the opposite of dishonest. It's the opposite of unreliable. Truth is reliable. Not, again, this doesn't mean it's always easy. You know we we, we want an easy life I mean we want an easy life about everything. you know what? An easy life is hard, isn't it? I mean it just is it's hard to have an easy life and, and we we look for that this is truth is always reliable. it is always worthy of following. He says, and whatever is honorable, some of the translations say noble. this word means without any questionable parts. Without any questionable parts it 's not well, you know this is mostly good, but there 's this little thing then then that doesn 't meet this test you 're to fill your minds with those things that don 't have any any dishonorable stuff in it you know it 's something that that should be that should be there it 's no question about it. This is something that 's able to come before God. And it's worthy of respect. Something that has the dignity of holiness upon it. I like that. I like the way that was phrased. Something that has the dignity of holiness upon it. This is what's honorable. And then he says what is just. Again, some of your translations say what is right. It's something that's in conformity with God's standards is what's talked about. That's what this word means. It's in conformity with God's standards. It's just as measured against God's word. Just as measured against him. It's the, it's in keeping with God. And he says whatever is pure. The word means without carnality, without fleshiness. You see. The carnal that 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 flesh apart from god it means pure immaculate he says when whatever is lovely lovely is free from every fault this word it means something that promotes peace rather than conflict and Sintiki, encourage him to get along, begin to think about these things, not something that promotes conflict. You see, it's the whole opposite of what and Sintiki's behavior was promoting. Their behavior was promoting conflict. He said, it's not that at all. It, it, it's, it's, what, it's what's going to promote peace. And then he says, whatever is commendable. Some of the translations say good repute. Some say admirable. But whatever is commendable. This has a focus on what's communicated. That's the focus of this. It's, it's that which sounds positive. It's constructive rather than negative and destructive. It's constructive. And he wraps it up with two broad, very broad phases. You know, if there's any moral excellence, any praise, now these would all be positive things that are in line with God's character and God's working. <clears throat> I was working when I was working on this sermon, and I'm going through it, and I'm thinking to myself, this list could get rather cumbersome. This this can get rather cumbersome. For pity's sakes, I have a hard time remembering my own three kids' names. How in the world am I going to remember all of these things? Yeah, and and, and I'm thinking, what? It's it's quite a challenge. What ties all of these together? Well, here's what it seems to be to me. These are all reflections of God himself. We could stop there. You know, they're all reflections of God himself. But the great thing for us is they're also the ways he is working to transform our life. He wants us to be more like him. And he is working. These are thinking of things that are in line with God himself. I mean, you could summarize that for yourself that way, you know, fill your mind with what things that are in line with God himself and realize these are the things he is trying to transform your mind into grasping. Into being, into doing, you know, and, and that he wants that there. We're to be like him, to be holy as he is holy. That is a completeness that we will never attain by our own efforts, but only God working in us and God working through us. That's the gift, part of the gift of what he gives to us. Be holy as I am holy. I can't do that. You're right. You're right. You have made the, the, the first monumental step toward holiness when you realize you can't do it. Because then you begin to yield yourself to God more when you realize, I can't do that, If it's something you can attain in your own strength, think about this. If it's something you can attain in your own strength, you are working against the gospel. If that's, if that's what you want, what you contain in your own strength, you are always, always going to fall short. Christ came and gave his life for us. Why? Because if we had to pay for it ourselves, we would fall short of the salvation we wanted. And it continues on in our life, you know, to be holy as he is holy, that completeness we can't attain by our own efforts. Only God working in us, only God working through us. So where do we start? Well, certainly, the first place to start is to have a relationship with Jesus. That's where you start to have a relationship with Christ. If if you you know if you think that it, that you need to be good before you can come to God, you're foolish. That's like saying I need to clean up before I take a bath. You know, uh, you know, it, 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 this, this makes no sense. And that's what it is. If you think you can clean yourself up well enough to come before God, you can You come before Him like you are, and guess what? He begins then to clean you up and straighten you out. There's your very first step, a relationship with Christ. Not just coming to church. Not just even reading your Bible. Not just, you know, it it, it is having this relationship with him. And it's also a daily dying to self and yielding to Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So then you too consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, if you're not going to feed worry, if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to feed the division and stuff, and you're going to yield yourself to God, consider yourself dead to sin. Stop thinking about these things that do worry and begin to think, begin to promote, begin to to fill your mind with those things of God and direct it there. Because this is what God calls us to, that you're alive in Christ Jesus. Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, Then he said to him, to all of them. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There it is, preacher. I knew it was there somewhere. I had to pick up my cross. Whoa. Whoa is me. Your cross is not your spouse or your lumbago. You know, that, that's not your... Cr- when we, when, you know, we hear people say this and maybe you've been guilty of it, uh, if you have uh, repent, and I mean that seriously, to, uh, you know, if you have that, you know, that, that my cross to bear just means this is this horrible thing that God's gonna give me and I just have to suck it up and carry it. That's, that is not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about with this, with this taking up your cross, this is a, a total surrender to Christ. No matter what. No matter what. It is this total surrender to him. It is this identification with him that I'm going to stand with God, and I'm going to stand with God no matter what. I am totally going to surrender to him. Just as he did to the cross, I'm going to totally surrender myself. Now what helps us see that is at the end of verse 8, back in Philippians 4 there, where he tells us, He says, to dwell on these things, think deeply, implant them, implant them, dwell, think deeply. When I think of dwelling, you know, and dwelling, (coughs) it's that place I feel at home in. It's that place that I settle into where we dwell Not that we just run through, you know, not, not that place that we just tag and we're, we're there for a minute. But it's that place that we, that we settle into. Dwell, you know, to, to dwell. Dwell means, that word means to reckon, to take into account. So reckon, take into account. So dwell on, take into account these things. Take into account what things? The way God has worked and is working on you. In you, through you. Take those things into account. Don't dwell on worry. Don't dwell on, Don't invest your time dwelling on worry. Invest your time dwelling on the ways in which God is working in you, through you, on you, to you. And take these things into account in your thinking, and guess what? They're going to drive away worry. Now, this is not just a mind game. This is a mind directed by God. Not just playing games. It is a mind directed by God. Isaiah chapter 26. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. You see, this is, this is what he's talking about, a mind directed by God. Notice what he says, that mind that is dependent upon you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Not in the circumstance, not in the situation, but in the very person of God. Who he is and what he is doing in us, to us, through us. Second Corinthians chapter 10 We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. This is not a mind game. This is a mind directed by God. You are taking every thought captive to do what? To obey Christ. To obey Christ. Not not just playing games on how we think. You want to defeat worry, you want to rejoice, then intentionally direct your thinking. But don't stop there. And this verse takes us right to the next point. Intentionally keep doing. Why do I say that? Well, verse (coughs) 9. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. If you have your own Bible, I suggest you circle the word do. You see, we look over little stuff like this sometimes. He just got done talking about thinking and where you're going to direct your mind and all that stuff. And you think, I'm good to go now. I can think. No, you see, because he says you have to do this. You have to do this. Being a Christian is not a one and done transaction. It is not, I have prayed this prayer and now I'm good to go and I'm done. I'm good, you see, now I can live my own life. Why? Well, because I got that taken care of. And because I have that God thing taken care of, now I can just go ahead and live my own life. That's not what, that's not what being a Christian is. It's a continuing, life transforming relationship. It's not an event, it's a life. It's a relation, you've heard me use that word before and I, I just think it's important. It's a relationship. It's not that I met him back there, way back there one time or other, you know, and met God and, and, you know, we had this transaction and now I'm good to go. You know, that's it. That's how I buy a watch. That's how I buy shoes. That's how you buy anything. It's this transaction way back there one time. And, you know, there was this little old bald guy and I bought this off of him and now it's good and now it's mine. That's not what it is. It's a relationship with someone. It's a relationship with the God of eternity. It's a relationship with the God of creation. It's a relationship with the God of... uh, With the God of your future. It's the relationship with the God that you get to spend eternity with when you have a relationship with Him, not when you think, I've taken care of it back there, and now I'm good to go. Christianity is not a one-and-done thing. Look back at chapters at, at chapter three. Just look back at it in your Bible there. Verse 16 and 17. You'll see this is this isn't new at all. What he says: in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. We should be doing this, we should be doing, we should be living. He says, join me in imitating me, brothers. Observe those who live according to the example you have in us. What he's saying is, live in a new way. Live with new direction, new motivation, new goals, new energy. Live in a new way. Do, he says, do practice, some of the translations say. That might work better for you. You know, actually put into place in your life repeatedly. We are not just called to do right, to to, to have right thinking, we are called to have right actions. It's not just thinking right, it's living right they say, I don't know how to do that. He says, then use the good habits of others as that example. Use those as a motivation and begin, continue good practices yourself. I remember, you know, when, when I was not raised in, you know, I was not raised in in a, a church where people actually believed the Bible and followed it. I was not raised that way. And I remember when I came to Christ and I came into this relationship with Christ and, you know, this whole thing's new and all, of, and, and, and all of these people now are talking about, you know, doing devotions. And I'm thinking, what in the world are you talking about? I don't know what this is. I understand the word devotions. What do you, what, what, what you know, what is it that you're doing? Now this is the thinking that's going on in my head, but, I didn't say this out loud why well because I don't want to be the dummy in the room everybody else seems to know what it is I don't you know and uh, uh, you know so I just kind of sit in there talking about it talk about well then this one uh, one of our elders at the church Henry Deering, great guy and uh, um, he was clear like me you know and he was clear with me a few times um, you know, and people called later and said, You okay? Uh, but anyway, um, Henry Deering was was talking, and um, he said to me that um, he said something about reading, you know, Daily Bread. Daily Bread? What are you talking about, Henry? And, you know, he told me, you know, it's a little, little so many of you know what it is. It's a little pamphlet from, uh, is it Radio School of the Bible? Is that the name of the, wherever it comes from? Um, they're up in Michigan, and uh, so we have the devotionals out there, and it's a little devotional, and it you know goes through there. And so Henry Dearing in, introduced me to you know this thing, and and you know what I was, he said he he said I use this every day, you know stuff, and I thought you yeah, know Henry's a pretty godly person, um, this could be a good thing, and so uh, I, I wrote to the place that I can't remember now, and they started sending me you know the daily bread. And this was my introduction then to what daily devotions were. Uh, you know, and what he says here, you know, he says, those things, those, those things you've seen other people do that, that you see have helped them to grow, maybe start trying to do some of those yourself, he says. To draw, to draw closer to Christ. You know, I, I, I wasn't looking to be more like Henry Deering. Well, in a way I was, because Henry Deering was a very godly man. You know, but I I wanted to draw closer to Christ, which I saw in Henry Derry. Paul says, "Hey, you you know, some of that stuff that you've you've seen you've seen me do. Maybe start doing some of that stuff." He's saying, "Use the good habits of others as as motivation, as an example." To be, and then begin to continue to do these practices, to do these things. And he says to do what you have learned and received. It's one thing to learn something. It's an entirely different thing to receive it. Learning gets into our head. And, and it's a knowledge thing. Receiving gets into our heart and into our living. Into our living. It's not just changing the head. It's not just getting more information in your head. It's not even changing your opinions, you know, and your thoughts. It's changing your living that he's talking about. That's what he's talking about, that you have learned and received. You've seen, you've heard it. Okay, now live it. Let's be real honest here. We all, we all have learned more than we're living right now. You know, you can begin living more of what you've already learned. There's a great place to start. You know, I've learned that. Whatever it might be, maybe it's, you know, having devotions for you. Maybe it's, you know, opening your home, you know, to others to help them to see and know Christ more. Maybe whatever, maybe it's changing your attitude and your outlook. Maybe it's, I want to get rid of this anger from my life. Yeah, whatever it might be. You know, but you, you begin to get it from your head into your living now, into your living. I'm guessing this is not the first sermon you've heard that mentions worry. Might I suggest you start doing some of what you've heard other people say and I've simply reminded you of? You know, what you have learned and received. Facts in our head aren't enough. We need to get, we need to get them into our heart, into our living. First Thessalonians. He says, this is why we constantly thank God, because you received the message about God that you heard from us, and you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the message of God, which also works effectively in you believers, which works out into your living, which gets it beyond beyond just knowing, but into your living. And then Paul says, he goes on. He said, that you know, those things that you had heard and seen, you know, th- those things that you've learned and received, that you have heard and seen these things in him, because he not only taught them, he lived them out before him. You see, we need to learn the word of God, and we need to live the word of God. It's not one or the other. It's both. <laughs> we need to learn it, and we need to live it. Uh, James, chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. When you're a hearer only, he says very clearly, what you're doing is deceiving yourself. If you think all you need to do is hear it and all you're doing is deceiving yourself. We need to learn it and we need to live it. He goes on in verse 9. He says, you know, do what you do, what you have seen in me. See how others can help you. You know, how, how, can, how can you learn from others? How can they help you grow in Christ? When I was, you know, when I was trying to run again this week, I was just, I was reminded once again, I've never been more consistent in my running than when I ran with other people. I'm having a hard time being consistent now and I'm running alone. I have never been more consistent in my running than when I was doing it with other people because you know what? They were going to be there and I had to be there. And, And you know, they would run and so I had to run. They didn't walk and so I couldn't walk. I've also, I've not, you know, I've read more books and read more broadly by being involved in reading groups than I ever did on my own. Right now I'm, I'm reading four different books with, with different groups of people. There's four different books that I'm into, uh, right now that I'm reading with different people. Some of which I never would have picked up if I wasn't involved in these reading groups. Uh, one of them's a, a pastor's, a group of us pastors meet in Warsaw every two months about and we're reading through different books which Some of them I wouldn't, I'd never pick up, you know, outside of this group, but it's gotten me into and pulling me into more thinking, you know, thinking in areas about God that I wouldn't have been thinking about had I not been involved, you know, with these, with these other groups, which you have seen and heard of. You know, when, when we think on the things of God and live out the Word of God, then we find what it says here. The God of peace then replaces worry when we focus our mind and follow the example of others you know, to, to live in the God of peace we'll find that worry is replaced by the peace of God Colossians chapter 3 says and then let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts and be thankful Be intentional. Be intentional in living with God. Intentionally choose unity instead of feeding division. Intentionally resolve worry through prayer and thanksgiving to God. Intentionally direct your thinking to what God has already done for you, in you, and through you. And then intentionally keep doing the things of God and you will draw closer to him. And then you will know that peace of God and you will know more of what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray together.